You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. Hello and welcome to the show. This is another episode of the Comedian's Comedian podcast. I'm Stuart Goldsmith and today I'm speaking to Gianmarco Cerezi, who is, as you will hear at the start of this episode, certainly as far as my algorithm is concerned, absolutely everywhere. Um, And that may be because I particularly like a particular sort of comedy. I don't know. Maybe, you know, we live in a siloed version of reality now whereby everyone's uh, digital experience online is different to everyone else's. But nonetheless, uh, you cannot deny the extent to which Gianmarco has managed to make the Internet work for him. We're going to talk about how he's. Do you know what? I've I've headed the show notes with a, a quote from this, but it's actually in the extras now, that particular bit. He said, I'm just a creative for an ad agency and the only product is me. And as I go on to say, I mean, that will some of you will be thinking, oh, Christ. But as I go on to say, it would it would be difficult. That might wind you up if he weren't so funny. And Gianmarco Cerezi is very, very funny indeed. He's driven. He works really, really hard. And we're going to talk about him growing up a theatre kid and his need to be witnessed. Uh, But we're also going to talk about his adoration of mathematically beautiful jokes. We'll refer a few times to Anthony Jeselnik and Rodney Dangerfield. And I think what Gianmarco is incredibly good at doing is is kind of reducing down a larger comedy concept into a very small punchy bit. He's I don't think of him as a one liner guy. He does have one liners, but it's sort of like he's just he's just very good at simmering down the wider kind of concept to just the punchy, pithy bits of it, but not necessarily like in bits rather than one liners. You will just have to watch his stuff online as I did and enjoy it a lot. And then, um, well, listen to this first and then go and get stuck in. So uh, 20 minutes of extra content. We'll talk about the finer points of Gianmarco's online content strategy. And if you are a comic and you're interested in putting clips online or even if you're thinking about it, or as we discuss, if you're an older comic who feels like, or it, no, not even older, but just someone that hasn't started doing that yet because that wasn't the job that you signed up for, but it is now. I cannot recommend that bit enough. It's it's fascinating to hear someone talk about it in such depth and detail from the inside. We'll talk about that and we'll also talk about that, that synthesis, that process by which longer routines become shorter jokes and vice versa. Loads of stuff, loads of technical uh, bits and bobs here. This is peak ComCom. You're going to love it. Here's Gianmarco Cerezi. So welcome to the show, Gianmarco. Thank you um, for having me. Hey, it's great to have you. You're you're someone who is um, your PR offered me your. Uh, they said, "Hey, Jay, check check this guy out. You want to have him on the podcast?" And I went, "I know that name. Like we've never worked together. We've never encountered each other. But the more I kind of pulled the thread, um, the more I kind of went, I know, I know. And I just went, "Oh my god, you're everywhere." That's that's the goal. I that's the goal. I, it that's really the goal. Is. I mean, you know, I think I think the the first the first like video I had that did really well was this R. Kelly pedophile joke, and the okay. number of people that that will be like, oh the the you're the you're the pedophile guy, <laughs> and I'm like, sure, I'll I'll take it. 
I'll sure. take it. You, you'll get my but, name on the second video, you know? Yes, that perfectly encapsulates how social media giveth and taketh away. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, oh, you'll be famous, but maybe not in the way you intended. But you are, you're, um, you are a, uh, you're just a machine, right? Into, like you've got like half a million subscribers on YouTube. You've got Instagram. You, like, I feel like you're someone who I really, like, we'll, we'll talk about the art. But let's just get into the, the yeah, craft yeah, yeah. at the moment. This, because, this is the art these days. Yeah, well, this is the art these days, right? Uh-huh. But, it, but it's not the pleasing thing about watching your stuff. And I've watched some of your crowd work compilations, loads of clips, your, your shelf life, your half hour special, kind of end, end pandemic special. And um, what's really satisfying is to see someone crushing it on social media who also is a comedian. Do you know what I mean? Like, I like it's, it. it's, it's well, man, you, you, for sure. It's, it's like it's the nexus of, oh, this is someone who is not simply spoofing crowd work so that you can get clips. You're doing really good crowd work and putting out the best bits. And, you know, you can write a joke and deliver a joke. And it seems like it's all going off right now. Yeah, I mean, it's listen, I, I, I think I got lucky. I, I started TikTok uh, early enough in the pandemic when it was still like it, they, all these things become really hard to break into after a certain amount of time. But I was yeah. in there early on TikTok. I just started posting those TikToks as Instagram reels, like right when Instagram reels started. And and I mean, I got so lucky. I got crazy lucky. And and sometimes you're in those windfall moments on social media and you just got to lean in because it will not last forever. It will not last forever and more people will start doing it. And, uh, I, you know, I, I think I just I, I it's taken a lot of my life away, but I've I just attacked all the apps and yeah. I'm not I don't think I'm a master of any of the apps, but I, I've done OK on on most of them. And okay. uh, that's it's been useful, obviously. Yes. And was that did your YouTube channel predate those apps? Were you already putting stuff on YouTube? Very poorly. I I, I okay. really tried breaking into YouTube before I was a stand up comedian. I was doing sketch comedy. I okay. I I booked some commercial work um, that was like very lucrative. And I spent almost all of it filming a, a high high budget sketch series called matzah pizza uh for my okay. jewish italian heritage and it really did not take off i had a i had a vision i wanted to be one of these youtube britannic or uh, uh there, there's all sorts of great sketch comedy channels and that's what i wanted to be but i i was so new to social media i i didn't understand how to use it i i i was late on youtube so i just i could not crack i would put these sketches up fifteen thousand dollars sketches and it would would, would get 400 views 600 views i i hired pr i i i did all the thumbnail i tried everything but it just it didn't work it didn't work and and what do you have a theory on why that was or do you understand why it works now do you understand what's different in what you're doing well partly is like i'm able to post a new thing every day and that's because of like the infrastructure of uh, at least with TikTok in the beginning, I just had years of stand-up comedy jokes and I write pretty tight setup punchlines. So I was just doing front-facing videos of all those jokes and then and then videos of me doing those same jokes on stage. And, and part of what I'm able to do is just constantly, constantly, constantly post and in a format that translates across platforms. So a tight joke 
you know, it's 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 it will work anywhere. That's the beauty of like really tight jokes. Yeah. Is, is, is yes. It- Do you know, I thought that a few moments ago when I recognized a line that's on your biog, the one about actor friends, I shared the stage with some people who are now really huge real estate agents. Yeah. And I saw that on your website like an hour ago. And I thought that's a lovely joke. That's a very that's a good joke to spend on a website. And then I saw it turn up in a special or a clip sure. or something else. I was like, that's exactly right. You're re- you're very deftly repurposing short setup punch stuff. I'm pretty shameless about it, and I-, I think it's just a reality of how fractured everything is. That all comedians have had to confront the kind of concept of like you put it out and it's burnt. Like we've all we've we everyone's changed their philosophy on this, even in the last couple of years. And um, uh, yeah, that, that that's so. I I just think unlike the beginning, I I thought if I made like a really great sketch, somehow it would go viral. And once in a while it did, but I I didn't have a clear kind of through line. It was just it was sketches that were exactly what I wanted to do. Some were six minutes, some were thirty seconds. And mm. now I I think I really have established like this is my sense of humor. I like dark comedy. I like tight tight jokes. And um and I've I've gradually moved more to posting crowd work only because I have more followers. And so yep. I'm more reticent about putting out material because uh, I've just had a couple shows where, you know, someone in the front row kind of whispers a punchline to their friend before I say it. Or I had a heckler once. She was like a supportive heckler, but a heckler nonetheless, who was shouting out some punchlines. And I said, oh. OK, fine. I've reached the point where I'm not going to put finished material out until I'm like, I'm really, truly done with it. Yeah, and okay. uh, but at the beginning, it was those tight jokes that that got me through. And maybe some people know them when they see me on stage. I don't really give a fuck at this point. I, I, <laughs> I had to post them to get to the place of where I am today. Even reading that that advertising book, like they would talk about certain tactics like that. And I, I don't I, I don't go deep in the comments because I, I need to write my material. I have to keep space in my life for being alive and writing material and working that material. There's a different version of me where like, if, if my, if my sole goal was just to grow, if growth was number one, then yeah, I would do that shit. I've heard all the time. You should engage in the comments. It helps, but it's too much. And, and I think like, being a, a one-man band, it's like I have all the things within me. I am the creative exec going, what the fuck is this bullshit? We just, just we want to do this. And I'm also the CEO whose, whose income is directly affected by the performance of the joke. I'm all these things in one. And you see comedians who go too far one way and they become pure brands and their jokes go away and they're succeeding, but it fucking sucks. And you see, or you don't see the people who neglect all, all aspects of promo and, and dwindle away and, and can't even get stage time anymore to do the art that they so deeply wanted to do. I, I, I am constantly at war with myself to figure out these things. And, and some days I feel like I'm, I'm too much of a machine. And some days I feel like I'm not being crafty enough. Oh, not being crafty enough, like not enough yeah. of a machine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what are the things, uh, what are the, in the, oh, oh, there's a parallel universe, 
with the Gianmarco Serezi in it, who is leaning even further into the machine. What sorts of things is that guy doing that you're not doing? Sure. I'll, I'll tell you, because you, you made a good point about like the things that go viral are identity things. Like if, if a comedian comes to me and says, how do I break into TikTok? And they're, they're Chinese. I go, if you have jokes about being Chinese, do that. Because that goes viral. Because, or if you have jokes about being Italian, or if you have jokes of 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 being Canadian and moving to America, lean in. So for me, the jokes that really popped off in the beginning were my parents being divorced, and I have a lot about my parents' divorce because uh, they got divorced when I was a baby. So I really grew up. That's all I knew. So I have just a lot of ideas about it. I have step parents, former step parents, and. And I milk it and I and I but I could go even even further. I could go even further. I have a lot about being Jewish and I've gone far. I've gone far with both those things. One of my new merch shirts is going to say child of divorce. But like there's the there's the next there's the next level of 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 that's all I do or all my crowd work is divorce or all my crowd work is Jewish or all my crowd work is Italian it's more about like it could be even more about those things or i could i could sit on at at home and just be like more stepmom jokes more single dad jokes more 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 and i honestly think i don't necessarily have like the discipline or or i get too bored to focus in that way that i just kind of i i really kind of follow whatever the funny thought is and just try to work it out um, but, but that would be leaning more fully into it. And you see those people, you, and then you see people like, I have a lot of friends who let's say their brand is, they used to be a teacher and their whole thing is teachers and teachers come and see their show and, and they do great. They sell better than me. They're touring. But then one day they go, okay, I'd like to talk about other things. And they have the struggle of like, is their audience going to follow them? And so we all have we we yeah, all have our different struggles. Theirs just has a lot more money up front. Yes, yeah, fair enough. I've had I've spoken to people on the, on this show where they made a name for themselves following a particular theme, and now they're like, Jesus, everyone keeps coming up and sharing their stories with me about social theme X Y Z, and I just want to go look. I'm just a comic, and you sort of go, yeah, that was the deal with the devil that you may have accidentally made in, yeah. in hitching your, you know, I don't know what you hitch the things. What is it? A horse to a wagon, something like that. But, but I also think it's like part of it's just, yeah. But part of it's just like, how did you grow? Like my dad's Italian. My mom's Jewish. I didn't grow up in a super Italian family or a super Jewish family. So there's only so much to be milked from it. Now, someone who grew up in an Italian family and they grew up in Jersey, they can they they have so many ideas. They have so much to pull from it. They can talk about their Nona or whatever the fuck. And <laughs> and, and it's like Sebastian Maniscalco, like like he sells out Madison Square Garden five times. And it's like, who knew there were that many Italians that close to Madison Square Garden to fill it up five times? But it's it's a mix of like it's kind of my choice but it's also because i only have so much to talk about there i only have so many funny ideas now if i was going really if i was really just oh growth above all things i would go hire some jewish writers i would go hire some italian writers i would say like okay i've run out of italian ideas but my name is Gianmarco. fucking let's churn it out (laughs) i never had a nona but tell me what's funny about a nona and uh Ultimately, that's just not 
that's not what I find fun. It's not what you find fun. And also it would presumably it would involve a handing over of the reins of power. I mean, it's hard to I know there are acts who do that. Presumably there is also a part of you which is like, well, why would I? Like, I mean, I, you know, like the idea of someone writes you some jokes and you say those jokes. Have you ever done that in a capacity? Have you ever done that for like corporate work or something whereby you've been speaking other people's words or panel games or something? Well, once in a while, I, again, I love tight jokes. So like, I, I've done some, I did a corporate gig recently for Mars, which uh, they do like M&Ms and Snickers. And I, I got to, I, I asked two comedians to add some jokes for me, like, like a writer's room. Sure. I do love it. I, uh, with, with tight jokes, tight, like weekend update, late night style jokes. I'll, I'll say anything if I think it's a good joke. I think that's fun to do. Uh, but for my act. Yeah. It's it's so personal. A couple times in my life, uh, a comedian named J.P. McDade, we did a roast battle and he's so good at roasting. And he said like, but he is so good at roasting. He said like two things about my essence that were so true (laughs) that I said to him, like, can I try to incorporate this into my act he was like of course what am i going to do can you tell can you tell me what one of them is can we discuss the yeah because i think the seeing someone else's another brilliant comics attitude like their interpretation of what your essence is oh i can see that's like oh that's like royal jelly (laughs) sure i think i think it would hit more of it if i was on stage and i'm still working to figure out the exact way to say it okay from my perspective but he said to me that it looks like before you tell a joke, you whisper to yourself a five, six, seven, eight. <laughs> and it's, I learned two big lessons that roast battle. So, so it was, a, it was a great joke. It crushed. It crushed. It's one of those roast jokes that is so amazing because it, it feels 100%. like it reveals the truth. It's not even like a set of punchline. And then uh, a comedian named Aaron Berg, who was judging it, I lost the battle, yeah, yeah. but it was like a good battle. I really worked hard, but JP won. And Aaron said, you would have won if right before you said your joke, you had gone a five, six, seven, eight. And I was like, fuck. But you were too fuck. busy reeling from, so, oh my God, he's got me. Oh, fuck, he's too, got too me. Busy. Yeah. How do I get him? How do I get him? And like, when he said that to me, I, I would do anything. If I could go back in time, instead of killing Hitler, I would go back just to that roast battle so I could do that because th- it would have felt so good. That's I can see it in my mind. With, with, just, with regard to that, just as an insight into like, what do you read into that of his interpretation of your essence? Like, because clearly, obviously that went off because he hit the right note. It resonated because he was like, yeah, he does have yeah. that essence. But what is that? Is it kind of like, like a sort of smug musicality? Like what, what quality is that? No, no. I think it's more of it's 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 that kid who like I want to be there. I can't pretend that I don't want to be there. And 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 I and I want it. And like, even if I'm trying to be cool, you can see that like I'm this is where I need to be. And and it's 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 a neediness and a a like I'm going to give it my all. I'm going to be sweating. And uh and that's who I am. You were, I and was I was a theater to say, kid. I mean, you, and, you do radiate. I oh, don't yeah. know that you radiate theater kid, but when you find out you were a theater kid, it's like, yeah, it checks out. Yeah, there's, there's. I want to go on stage, and you can see that I just want to open my arms up like this and make myself <laughs> big, and 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 just stretch out my hands and dance and move, and and that's who I am. Uh, uh, and 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 I think like 
as much as I love like someone like an Anthony Jeselnik and I, and I like the, how cool he is, there's part of me that's like, no matter how dark I want to be and, and how fucked up and tight I want my jokes to be, to deny that I also want to move and like express myself would be a fool's errand. Totally. I have to embrace it. And for some people, they'll be like, ugh, that's a lot. And it's like, fine, yeah. they're not my fans. That's fine. It's so hard, isn't it? The moment when you realize you're not cool. <laughs> yeah, it is. And, and there's always a part of you that wants wants to be. I mean, you see comedians where they start getting money and they get the nicer clothes. And part of it is like, okay, but remember, cool and funny For aren't sure. the same yeah, yeah. thing. It's just that it's like that, you know, rock and roll guys who are just like, I want to be, you know, I want to kind of be on fire in a leather jacket, like rocking out. And then it turns out what they're really good at is a madrigal. Or do you know what I mean? Or like the piano or the harp or something. They're like, oh, yeah, yeah. this is the muse I have. Shit. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, and I think in comedy, you see a lot. You see people rejecting who they are rather than embracing it because it's painful to embrace it. Because you have, to, like, that's the thing about clowning, isn't it? You have to, you have to um, uh, own your flaws and if you're fl- you might think your flaws are oh and so kind of anxiety ridden and and special but no those aren't your flaws you're smug and you're boring or whatever the thing is you know what i mean and you have to go oh i have yeah, to own yeah, yeah. them no uh-huh. <laughs> so this is jean marco i'm really enjoying chatting to him and later on he will go on to talk about jeffrey asmus who i had not heard about before and who immediately googled and have been uh, recommending to everybody. Uh, Jeffrey Asmus is going to come on the show as well. So thanks, Jan Marco, for setting that up. Um, uh, that will be coming up in a few episodes. Also in the can, we are, I'm waiting for clearance with a, a particular episode, which I'm, I'm really hopeful can come to you. Um, I've also got a few others in the can. We have the fabulous Jeff Shaw. As I said, Jeffrey is coming up as well. Um, I'm speaking to a couple of other very exciting people, including one I mean, if you're in the if you're in the insiders group, if you're in the Facebook group, I think I've sort of mentioned it in there. I'm not going to say it here in case it doesn't happen. I always feel like it hexes it. But um, someone who I've been trying to get on the show for probably eight years or more uh, has agreed to come on. I can't wait for that. I'm so excited. Um, if you're in the Facebook group or the insiders club, you will know already who that is. And you can submit questions for the person uh, in the Facebook group. So. Um, you can find 20 minutes of extras from this at comedianscomedian.com slash insiders, as well as the exclusive insiders Q&As. Oh, I'll tell you who else we've got coming up is Nish Kumar. That's um, that's not just insiders. That's a sort of uh, public to everybody show that will probably be coming out in the beginning of August. Nish returned to the show eight years on uh, from a time when we used to live together. And I, I mean, I think we were both in very, very different positions in our lives. Um, but uh, that is a cracking episode. And uh, I'm still working on the Boutros, my, my wee boy, my seven-year-old now. Yes, seven, you're old. Um, uh, to allow me to include at the end of the episode a very, very funny interaction between the two of them. Um, currently, he heard it and he's like, you can't put that out. I think I could work on him for your benefit. So that's coming up as well. I'm going to tell you, did I tell you this before? This is my uh, excitable Edinburgh list. It's growing weekly. These are the people I'm going to be excited to see at the Edinburgh Festival, Elf Lions doing a BSL show with someone else whose name I forget. Apologies, I just knew. Oh, I'll just Google Elf and then I'll find that. Um, Ted Hill tries and fails to fix climate change. Uh, ben Tarje uh, of this podcast is doing um, uh, he's doing a show about uh, the caring industry, the care industry and being a carer. 
Um, Lachlan Werner I'm looking forward to. Matt Ewins, I saw a preview of some of his stuff. His show is called Mr. TikTok. Can't wait for that. Uh, Patty Harrison, I can't wait to see. Uh, Bill O'Neill comes very highly regarded. I've yet to see Ollie Horn do a full Edinburgh hour, so I'm going to do that. Uh, Nabil Abdul-Rashid, and he did a preview with me, and people were just blown away by the time I went on. So uh, uh, thanks, Nabil. (laughs) If you want someone to make your job harder, uh, apparently Nabil's new show, which is called The Purple Pill, I think, um, is I, I've not heard a word from it, but uh, everyone was just losing their minds. Um, so loads of loads of stuff there. It is uh, there is a huge thread. I think there's about fifty or sixty people on it now who are members of the uh, comedians comedian listenership community. Or it's, I mean, you can't do the acronyms. That's what Richard does all the time, isn't it? The the com com list com. <laughs> oh God, Christ. Um, anyway, the people in the Facebook group. There's like sixty plus people who are listeners to this show and who are taking shows to the Edinburgh Festival. So in a future episode, maybe next week, if I remember, I will read out all of them. That would be nice. And um, so. That's, that's all of that. My show, of course, is uh, on sale now and selling nicely. That's very exciting. Um, so jump in there. It is, of course, a monkey barrel. So you can just take a risk on the day and turn up and pay what you want. But it's looking like it's selling quite well. So uh, please go to stuartgoldsmith.com and follow the relevant, very simple links in order to hop onto the Goldsmith pipeline and buy tickets for my Edinburgh show. Spoilers, which won best new show. No, best, just best show. Even less qualified than that. Best show at the Leicester Comedy Festival. Um, it's a great joy, and I think you'll enjoy it. So thanks to everyone that came along and saw it at 2 North Down. What a mwah, banger preview that was. Lovely. Right, enough of this. Let's get back uh, to the subject of this episode, Mr. Gianmarco Cerezi. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. There was a long time where, because I truly grew up with a lot of theatrical training. I did the clowning class, I did the like putting on a mask and moving around. And in the beginning of stand up, it, it was sometimes really at odds, like because. The jokes weren't there and I would get by on my performance and my theatricality. And it really was doing roast battles. Whenever someone asked me, like, how do I, like, become a better comedian? I I love roast battles because the objective is so clear um, what you're trying to do in a roast battle. And a lot of the tricks that can work on stage do not work in roast battles. And so I would do these and I would bomb. 
I would bomb so hard. My theater kid energy is not winning me any roast battles. That's for sure. <laughs> and only in the last, I really do feel like in the last year or two years, as I felt more confident as a writer, do I now feel like, oh, now I can let that theater kid out within the joke I've constructed and it it makes it a special thing. I, there was a time I would be anxious if someone accused me of being like just loud or just theatrical. And now I don't feel that fear because I, I uh, you know, I'm, I'm not confident about everything, but I'm like, no, I have some jokes that are well constructed. And if I say them loud or if I'm like dancing while I'm doing it or whatever the fuck, that's, yeah. that does not take away from the fact that mathematically this is a beautiful joke. That's lovely. I'm, I'm just wondering, just to drill down on, on that theatre kidness, it's not, my guess is that it's not simply being loud or being sort of physically big and sort of physically um, animated. But there is also, as, uh, as uh, JP McDade suggested, it's, um, it, there is something about, or as you suggested as well, it's it's not just the energy on stage it's kind of the internal energy it's the it's the sort of love me energy of a theater yeah yeah yeah. right so to let that out for someone whose jokes are some of your jokes are very kind of snappy or catty or you're kind of using you're kind of let's get the knife in in a really deft way yeah like that to combine that with so that i am loved is like that that feels like a really rich sort of a texture right yeah yeah yeah. i think like you you can you know, some people, they'll just say the naughty thing and everyone laughs. But you can see me say the naughty thing and then be like, mm, I hope the, please, no, please still like me. And and I think that's an interesting conflict to to, to see that the, those inner workings. I, yes. I, I think more about just how acting, how I can use those tools. I think with with some acting stuff, I can really lean into a misdirection. Because yeah. I know how to make the audience think that I'm having an emotional moment, perhaps, or I'm really struggling to come up with the words. And and you can just, a, a regular misdirection, you can really get them, especially a mean one. A mean one. Uh, can you give me an example? I'll give you one that I love to tell. Um, so I go, uh, my grandpa turned uh, 98 last October. Um, and I called him to wish him a happy birthday and, and he ended up talking to me for hours. He talked to me for hours about, you know, being born in, in the later part of the, the great depression and he served in world war two. He protested the Vietnam war. And, and at the end he said, if I have any wisdom to share from all my years on this earth, it's this don't waste your youth. So I took his advice and never called him again. <laughs> and and I just love it because, especially depending on where I tell it in the show, I really gain that audience's trust again. And, totally. you know, they're, they're foolish for following me along, but foolish in a good way. And if I really take a time, if I really take my time with some setups and I really breathe into it, enough of them are like, Oh wow! I guess he's gonna like share a sweet thought right now, sure. and I love doing that. I love that. It's my favorite yes. thing to do. 
I love doing that as well. That is so fun, isn't it's, it? To, to, you can feel yourself because like an actor, or I know that you are an actor. I've been an actor. It's not something I pursue anymore. But um, but the the knowledge that you're on it, like we know what it's like to be on it, like in flow as a comic when you're improvising, say. But when the elements of the physical performance kind of inhabit and enliven the bit that's not something that comes up a lot on on this podcast people are quite kind of here's my attitude here are my jokes but actually just the sort of like breathing in like sometimes we're like fuck i'm performing this really well yeah and 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 i'm performing it differently and i'm this is 10 times better than i normally do this bit yeah yeah yeah. and i i think i think people are allergic to it just because how many bad joke writers just go out there and blah, 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 and make noises and, and tickle the audience or whatever. And, and especially, I mean, when I was coming up, uh, there was a comedy club in, in, in New York, uh, where the booker at the time said that I was too one man show. And, okay. and it was, you know, part of me had that thought of like, should I change? Should I be more chill? Part of me was upset because I was like, well, you told me to kill for five minutes. If you, uh, I can be mumbly. I can stand there. I, I've done shows tired. I don't have to do this. It just was fun. It's what I am. And, and I think that was just the attitude. I think that was just the attitude. Or, or comedians have that attitude at different times in their lives. And then Sebastian Maniscalco sells out Madison Square Garden five times. And they go, oh, maybe I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move a little. <laughs> Maybe I'm going to move for a second. <laughs> uh, but again, it's it's just who I am. And it's just like accepting that I am that theater kid. And I'm going to be loud. I'm going to be loud. When did you first, in stand-up, when did you first feel like yourself on stage? I, it, I, I really think the only reason I found it, it wasn't a specific moment, but it was... I worked at this horrible, horrible club in New York called LOL. And it's one of these clubs, uh, if you're working there, you shouldn't even talk. People will be like, don't say that. People will judge you for this. This is the club that they bark in people from Times Square, tourists, uh, drunk. But but I I basically did every check spot there, which you guys, I don't know if you do, you don't do check spots. I know what it is. Everyone knows what check spot is, where they drop the check. And um, <laughs> we we also don't have the expression "drop the check," but what it means is <laughs> that to people listening in the UK, where we sensibly have so an funny. interval through which people can get drinks. Um, in America, they for no reason choose to. Well, no, I'm sure for reasons, but they make this insane choice that they will have uh, waiting staff walking around during the headliner, um, so everyone can pay their taps. Yes, and right? during- so there's lots of chat and conversation during. Yes. what could otherwise be an excellent bit of the show. And, and it, it like it it brings the whole room down. It's awkward. Uh, uh, and in, on showcase shows where it's a bunch of comedians, they will literally delegate uh, a spot as the check spot. And and gotcha. so okay. so the, the show would be like host, comic, 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 check spot. And then yeah. they're the ones who are supposed to eat shit. I mean, it is the yeah. shit spot. And yeah, then. Yeah, yeah, yeah the final comic to close it out. And and part of the th- reasoning is, I guess, they want to turn over the room quicker. Part of it is they worry, especially at this kind of club, people are just going to leave without paying. Which, sure. at this particular <laughs> club, fair point. It's a fair yeah, point. Okay. <laughs> and um, and even worse, they, they, I mean, they give it to a new comic, but it's usually unpaid. Uh, at this club, a lot of things are unpaid. So I kind of did every check spot for basically a year and this is like it's very rare there's so many comedians in new york 
that that I was doing four shows a night at this club, and you it is it is very hard to do that as a newer comedian in the city. Um, but but I think it was only doing this club where on Fridays and Saturdays the last show started at one a.m. that it wasn't until I was going up at two fifteen a.m. And I was so fucking tired and I was not getting paid and I was not happy and there was no green room. And I'm sitting in the bar listening to the same goddamn playlist for the third time that night that I started going on stage with a I don't give a fuck or I'm too tired to pretend attitude. And I really think it's only those moments that force you to to you can't add anything you can't pretend you're something you're not it is it is the shows it is the headlining shows where the airplane was delayed and i didn't get my bag and i get to the club five minutes before i go on stage where i'm not happy about it i didn't get to write down my notes i'm not feeling good i need to take a shit those are the shows where you see what you're really capable of truthfully on stage and you, you go, you end up learning a lot from it as awful as it is in the moment that, that you just don't have the energy to put anything on. Is it, I I totally get, I totally understand that. Is it only those shows? I do wonder whether so much like this, that, that, that concept comes up time and time again. It's like, if you eat shit to such an extent that you go, oh, I just don't care anymore, and then bang, you access. Well, over you don't time, have to eat shit. You can do well. It's it's more just like you go on stage without 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 being scared. I I, I think without ceremony somehow. Yeah, and and I think there's just you know when when I did uh, I did JFL last year. I did New Faces. I saw the set. Fantastic. Thank you. And I, I really do think part of part of what made it go well is we were backstage. I was on the second show and I was backstage in that green room for like three and a half hours. And <laughs> I felt all that anxiety, all that stress. This is this is such a big show. Everyone talks about this shit. Everyone said that when Shane Gillis did it, it was the blah, blah, blah. and and I was there for so long that I got tired. The anxiety expired. I broke through like a cold sweat. And I was just, it got to the point where I was like, fuck, let's get this over with. Jesus Christ. And because of that, in the second show, it was so funny. Pete, Pete Holmes it was hosting it he, for the, he, he told us in the second show, he's like, just so you guys know, second show's usually better. You know, the audience are a little drunker. It's a little later. And then he went up to host the second show. He came back and he went, <laughs> They are tired. They are tired. I've never seen this before. And part of it is just like that that was going bad. It was a tough crowd. I was tired, anxious, had, had expired that I I I wanted to go up there and have a good time for me. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's it. I'm trying to find it as I talk about it, but like part of it is like I went up there to to do to to have fun. I hate to say it because it's so trite, but it's not just have fun. I went up there to do what I wanted to do. And that's be big and that's take my time and that's move around the stage and I think a lot of things just went right that night 
in terms of like the chemicals that need to, the, 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 the processes that need to occur for me to be at my best. Can you, can you contrive that? Can you hack your way into that feeling in other circumstances? If you turn up and think, you know, you're just in a shit mood. Have you got anything? Have you got a mantra or a manifesto or a, a routine, some kind of magic trick to get you in the right place? I, I try to remind myself that like, and I learned this from, there's a comedian named Ken Boyd in, in New York who I worked with at LOL who's really good. And he was always having a blast on stage. And I really try to remind myself, I'm like the best sets I ever had. I was having, I was enjoying myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, so sometimes, you know, if there's music before, I will try to be like, just dance, just dance to it. Fucking feel it from, you know, from, from before I go on stage. When I was a kid, I used to box. I need to be physical. So I, I will try to do those things as embarrassing as it is to like engage that part of me of being like, I get to fucking move on stage and be witnessed. That's all I've ever wanted since I was a kid was to be fucking witnessed while I was uh, 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 yelling and moving. And I try to tap into that. And 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 then I think there's just the reality that the more you do it, the more it becomes second nature. Someone someone once told me about uh, Liza Minnelli, uh, this, my musical theater days, and Liza had been performing since she was a kid. And they just talked about her being on stage that when the curtain went up and the curtain went down, she did not change that much. She, it was, that was part of regular life for her. And, and when I'm really, that's why if you see me on that second show of the night, or if there's three, I've only had to have a couple of three headlining shows. You see me for that third one. I'm, I'm, I'm in a good place. I'm, I'm tired. I'm beaten, but I've been on the stage. It's like my living room now. I I'm, I'm just, I'm just living. And, uh, yeah, I think that just comes with time. And and that's why I think even when a really good comedian, if they took a long break from stand-up and they try to come back, something's missing. And it's that. You got to be living up there. Why do you need to be witnessed? You know, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure... I'm sure I could, I could look back and go, parents divorce. I think both my parents... Um, and I say this as a narcissist myself, I think they, they were both, they both have narcissistic tendencies. And, and I wonder if there was a degree where I didn't feel as I uh, wanted or loved. They, 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 they were, they were fine parents, but, but, but I, I wonder if, if it's because of that, that, that lent it to me. But I also think it's just part of my DNA. When, when I was very young, four or five I would dance in the living room uh, at both my parents' respective houses, my mom's house and my dad's house. We'd, they'd put on disco and I would dance and, and I insisted, I was like, we need to get our living room on a stage. And in my head, I was thinking like, not, not a comedy club, a stadium. I was yeah. like, we need to recreate this living room on stage because other people need to witness this and it wasn't fully like they need to see how good i am it was i'm feeling joy i'm feeling so much fun 
that it's that that people should should see people need to I don't know, man. I, I don't know if it's it's tied to our deep internal need for a God. I wonder if I was more religious, I I could just, you know, dance alone and be like, well, God's witnessing it. That's good enough. But <laughs> but I really it's really just a part of like who I am. I, 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 if, if, if I feel joy, I want others to see it. And only in, in being witnessed as I'm experiencing it, does it close the loop for me? Whoa, <laughs> that's great. That's great. Yeah, it's it's great. Witnessed? It's great. It's a, but, but it's, it's, it's a fucking nightmare to be around. You know, I'm always like, fuck, sure. no one saw this. No one saw this. <laughs> I want to be known. Like, I think that's why I'm more of an autobiographical performer, uh, even with my, you know, dark, twisty one-liners. Like, yeah, I did it not call my grandpa again, but that joke is informed by the, like, deep feeling of, like, I go on the phone with my grandpa and I don't want to talk to him at all. And he's this man sure. with this. <laughs> it's It's related to my core narcissism yes. and confronting it. Uh, sure. and, but, and it's relatable, but you, you've zeroed yes. in on something specific and it's become relatable because we all don't want to talk to our grandparents, yeah. you know, whilst loving them. Yeah. yeah. And, and I, 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 you know, again, we're just trying to like articulate feelings, which, which is a, a fool's errand in some way. But like, I think part of the reason that I talk about myself is that in being witnessed, it's not just look at me juggle part of me wants i want i want them to know my internal feelings and that's just i have to do it i i have to do it that's what i have to talk about on stage to to, to talk about something completely made up almost feels like well who gives a fuck and and I, you know, I think I think there's some people that just want to be witnessed, period, and they become reality TV stars. I, I yeah, want to be yeah. witnessed, and I, and I want it to be for a good reason. I want it to be because it's worthy of being witnessed. You know, if I just want to be witnessed, I could go masturbate in Times Square. I'll be witnessed by a lot of people. But, like, I, I, I also want it to be uh, worth it for the people watching it. I don't want to force them. I don't want to just be an asshole, you know? And you want to do that by articulating a feeling or a thought. I mean, a feeling, I think. Yeah. More than, yeah, thoughts, you know, you use thoughts to express them. But it's, I think for you, it's a, it's a feeling thing. And you want to go, I feel, there's um, a brilliant Australian comic uh, called Laura Davis who said, and I, I don't know if this is her original thought, I attribute it to her all the time. But she said the job of any artist is to take out kind of a shard of your heart and hold it up to the light and say, look at that, you too? Yeah. You too? Like that, and so I think that's I, I really I connect with that a lot. I think that's a really be- beautiful and precious idea. This thing I felt this is that. Can I put this in a way yeah. that you will all go yes, yes, and you have that kind of communion? Yeah, and and I I think what I what I like about what I think of the reason that I really lean on the very tight jokes and like jokes where it's you know they succeed or fail is is I I. I get to share that thought, but I get to articulate it in in such a a kind of carefully crafted thing that um, even if you don't like me, or even if you think the thought is a stupid thought, the delivery mechanism uh, works. It functions. So, like, like you know, whether you want to know me or not, you're going to take that that joke, and and that's what I. 
I want, I, again, this, this could be, you know, this is self-aggrandizing, but this is what I'm trying to achieve. It's like, I love one-liners. I love the Rodney Dangerfields. I love the Anthony Jeselniks. I want to use that format of these tight things that pop in your brain when the punchline hits and infuse them and fill them and have them come from my truthful, real emotional feelings. And, and I think that's fun. I think that's a fun challenge to dedicate my, my life's work to. <laughs> I'm thinking of just in terms of the short jokes, I'm thinking of that one that you have about your um, sports teacher, a sports instructor saying you miss 100% of the shots that you take. Yeah. What a beautiful gag. Thank you. So are you are you writing those? Are you putting yourself in a state where they tumble out of you and you record it and you go, oh, I can sharpen it now? Are you working on a blank page? I mean, honestly, sometimes you look back on on like especially like that joke I told about my grandpa, and I'm like, how did I even how did I even get there? I, I don't even know what the evolution was. I, I will get stoned and I will write out a lot of thoughts, a lot of thoughts, and some of them they how start do you out have more. time to get stoned. What with the I, machine? <laughs> I, do, I do a lot of micro. I do a lot of micro dosing these days. But when I did roast okay. battles, I mean, because because you know, in roast, sometimes you just gotta break outside the box to really think of something funny. And when I would get stoned, it, it just let me see things in a different way. And I would write a lot of terrible jokes, but it it it, it made me think. It, it made my funny things being funny a little heightened. And so every little thing that tingled a little, I was like, ooh, let's write that down. Ooh, let's write that down. Mm-hmm. And then I get sober and I go through and I delete 90% of it and, and find those funny thoughts. And then I'm like, okay, how do I articulate it in a way? That's when I get mathematical about it. How do I articulate okay. it in a way where they're getting just as much information as they need and I'm holding back just enough information that the punchline is as surprising as possible? Yes. Yes. So there's the inspiration phase and then the editing phase. And so so you've got the kind of the rough material and then it's the kind of tinkering technical. Yeah. I'm, I'm known to a degree of always having my laptop out in a way that's obnoxious for, for many, but like that's me doing the editing phase, living life. And when I get stoned or I'm with my, my, my girlfriend and we're stoned or not, that's the inspiration phase. And that's why I write a bunch of things down in my, my notes app on my phone. And then everything else is editing. Everything else is editing. And I have so many thoughts that I still think are great that I haven't figured out a way to, to say it yet. And it, it sits in a document and I, I chisel away at it every single goddamn day. Can you share, can you share a note or a chiseler with us? Um, uh, uh, let's see. So yeah, sure. One, one joke I've been tinkering with, uh, I talk about how I, 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 I'm doing, I started doing drugs, uh, this year kind of for the first time again. So this isn't going to be fully polished, but, but no, no, but, no, no. I, I totally the, understand. The, the, the beats of it, the beats of it are like, you know, I, um, I have a lot of friends my age now they, now they're getting sober and I'm like, really right before all the funerals start. And like, so that's the first part. And then like, you know, I, I want to do drugs because just to deal with my mortality, I don't, I don't want my last words to be like, I should have worked less. I wanted to be like, I am so fucked up right now, dude. <laughs> like, like, you know, and you don't want to wait. You don't want to try an edible for the first time on your deathbed. And then your last words are like, I don't think it's kicked in yet. And, <laughs> and then like the, the last line that I'm trying to articulate is like, you know, I, I, I want to be so high 
even if there's no God, I still get to meet that motherfucker. And there's, it's like, it's figuring out a way. I, I've been tinkering all these different ways. Uh, even if there's no God, I want to be so high. I still get to meet that motherfucker. Um, you know, I don't believe in God, but that doesn't mean I don't want to meet that mother. You know, it, it's, and then not motherfucker sure. to meet that God. It's, and it's like, I know, I know with that line. And again, this trunk is, is one that I'm still developing, but it, it feels true. I, I, I know that the reason I didn't want to do shrooms for a long time was because I was like, if I don't have a religious experience, then I don't have anything to look forward to someday. Now I know (laughs) there's just nothing, you know, that's why, that's why I'm scared to do ayahuasca. What if I don't see God, then I know that I'm never seeing God. And so I know that thought is true. I know there's something there uh, but it's it's figuring out a way to articulate where I'm not giving away what I'm about to say, uh, uh, and and how do I deliver that information where I'm really surprising you? With the twist being, even if there's not a God, I want to meet God, and how do I yeah. deliver that? Something I know that that thought there is a version of that joke that catches the audience off guard and will get a big laugh because all of that works, but it's not up to what I know it can be. And and the next phase of it, is it a performance phase and I'm working out the blocks on stage or is it in a writing phase? I think it vacillates. Like sometimes I'll be telling that joke on stage and I'm like, I haven't changed anything. It's going to do fine like it did last time. What the fuck are you doing? Uh, you need to sit down. Sometimes I need to go get high and, and re- reapproach it. Sometimes you have to really fight yourself and be like, abandon the joke that you have written and re-explore this thing. Talk it out loud. Yes, that can be such a limitation, can't it? You've so got hard. a funny idea. You write it down once and you're like, well, I guess that's the joke now. No, it isn't. <laughs> that's not, like that's the latest expression of it. And if you've said it three times, then you're like, oh, fuck, I can't think. I can't approach it as fresh as I was the first time. And sometimes uh, there, there's a degree of you keep wanting to say the fact. You keep wanting to say the truth. Your job as a comedian is to make it funny. So another example, I was I was trying to come up with an idea of like, uh, I'm Jewish, and so there's this degree of the Jews run Hollywood. That's what people say. And part of me was trying to come up with a joke of like, well, back in the vaudeville days in New York, Jews were only allowed to work in show business. So so I was like, what's the joke of like, well, you made us do this and now you're mad that we do this. And I kept working. And the problem is it was too factual. I was I was almost like trying to make an argument, not a joke. And so yeah. now I don't know how, but one day I said, oh, oh, the, people say to me, the Jews run Hollywood. Well, then how about a fucking thank you? I mean, yeah. have you ever seen a Christian movie? They fucking suck. Oh, let me guess the main character is Jesus Christ. Oh, no, he died. I wonder if he'll come back to life, you fucking hack. And it's like I was trying to make funny the argument as opposed to going, you know what? Yes. We do run it. And it's like in there, you surprise someone. Everyone says the Jews don't actually run Hollywood. That's not funny. That's not funny. That's what you're going to see in an argument. My job is to be funny. And hopefully you see that that I'm not like literally saying it. You're seeing the joke of it. 
But but sometimes that's the challenge where I keep going. And some comedians, they will roll with that. They'll roll with the argument. That's not who I am. I want to fucking surprise you. I want to make you laugh really hard before you can even think, why am I laughing? And yes. and that's what I think is a one-liner's job. And, and it becomes even harder the more, if you know I'm going to be a dark comedian or I'm going to do a twist like that, mm. you're looking for it. So you yeah, really totally. got to surprise See that all the time. See that all the time. Rodney Dangerfield, yeah. we all knew all the jokes were going to be about how much he's a loser. So he had to write such good jokes because you had to be like, oh, my God, I can't believe that's where it was. Same with Anthony Jeselnik. Like, sure. I think it must be so hard to be Anthony Jeselnik uh, uh, because to write in that character because he has committed himself to always being I can bounce around. Maybe my dad's the asshole. Maybe I'm the asshole. Maybe I'm nice here, but then mean here. Jeselnik's character is like every punchline is going to be monstrous. And that's probably why it, he needs four years before he writes, you know, his next yeah. hour. Cause it's hard. Yeah, yeah. With, um, it's interesting. You say that about the line of an argument, like the, you're trying to win an argument or you're trying to, to, to kind of, um, put forward an argument for something and you go, no, nope, be silly. Like my new show, the show I'm writing at the moment, I'm taking to Edinburgh Festival this year is about the climate crisis. Mm. And it's like an earnest heart on my sleeve. I'm really terrified about the climate crisis. Uh-huh. Let's talk about it. It's not couched in metaphor. It is what it is. And I think like, like it, there's so, I mean, that's a, a multiplicity of challenges there involved in, hey, I want people who are scared to feel better. Some people aren't scared. Shit, have I got to make them scared? Like, yeah, they yeah, haven't yeah. done the reading. Have I got to terrify my audience by pointing out how bad things are? Um, but last night, for the first time, I did a show where I said, I introduced that bit of material just by saying, just on a whim, I said, so I'm feeling pretty great about the climate crisis. And it just got this wallop of a laugh. And I went, oh, yes, because I'm being silly. Yeah. So being, they know I don't mean that. And so we're back to comedy rather than, right, strap in, I'm going to upset you. <laughs> it's, it's always, it's, it's to be sincere. It, like, so I had, a, I had a heck, kind of a heckle. I was in North Carolina and uh, Brittany Griner. Do, do you follow, do you know who Brittany Griner is? I do know who Brittany Griner is, yes. So she just was in, in case she anyone, was imprisoned in Russia. She was imprisoned in Russia. She had like a, a, a minuscule amount of, of some kind of vape oil with THC in it. And she had just been released. And I had a joke that I was, that I, I really liked. I stopped telling it because it, it expired quickly, but it was like, you know, Brittany Griner was, was released. Uh, and I think that's fantastic. But but we should we should even though that's great we should remember that there are tens of thousands of men and women in American prisons who could destroy her at basketball, uh, <laughs> and and again like I was getting ready for that joke which is which is like a twist on the thing it's not sincere yeah. and I said Brittany Griner was released from Russian prison and someone in the back went boo and. Before the comedian could take over, that liberal, that liberal leftist in me said, it was so embarrassing. I said, uh, I actually think it's a good thing when American prisoners are released from foreign prisons. I guess that's like I said, the the total lecture, uh, you're mean and that's a bad thought. And it makes me not love, want to live in this country anymore. And it wasn't funny. It wasn't funny. And I couldn't get back in the joke. And I look back on it like you lost the battle. I mean, it's it's 
I'm not up there to listen. If I want to go convince this guy that it's good that an American was freed from a Russian prison, I'm not going to do that from the comedy club stage. I I'm going to need to change the education system in America. Uh, part of looking like a loser is thinking that I could win that battle. Oh, I'm going to lecture him into what? Caring for the WNBA players? I can't yeah. do that. That is a false yeah. battle. So I'm a loser. I'm I'm just trying to like nag him. All I can do right now is is be funny, and hopefully he'll like me. And maybe in some grand scheme thing, he'll gradually become a, a leftist liberal because he loves totally. leftist liberal comedians. I'm not yeah. going to win the battle going, hey, hey, buddy, that's scold, not cool. Scold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I, I try to remember it all the time in crowd work that it's just like the moment you're you're angry or the moment you're you're trying to make a point and not make them laugh, you will lose. Do you? Like you, you clearly have a great facility for mining subjects for premises. You've got really good premises, and I think that's a thing. I I think of that as like a classic New York thing. You've got so little time. Do you know what I mean? You're so little time on stage. So much competition. There's no room for bagginess. You have to press all the air out of it. So mm-hmm. I I find with some um, comics, yourself included, where almost like every joke is its own premise. Like, do you know what I mean? It's either a premise or it's a tag on the joke, but there's nothing else. Yeah. I think I just like that kind of comedy. There, there's, a, there's an amazing comedian named Jeffrey Asmus who, like, it, he's like that even more. Just every joke can exist on its own, and his tags are incredible. Tags are so tough because... Just let me interrupt you. As, Asmus, Jeffrey Asmus. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, it's Jeffrey with a G, G-E-O. Okay. Um, oh, incredible, hard to watch. Cause you're just like, fuck. Eh, eh. I mean, when he's on a roll, every joke gets an applause break because he so beautifully sets it up, hits it. And then his tags, tags, the, the tag, it cannot be a smaller laugh than the first <laughs> yeah, punchline. Yeah, yeah. And 100%. it drives me insane when I see people do tags that get less than the punchline. Of course. And, and, and the tags have to like somehow reinvent it. The tags have to be a, a twist off the twist, and he'll do twist after twist after twist. And um, I just like that that kind of comedy, and especially once you're you do comedy for so long, charisma doesn't mean as much to me anymore. I really do sit there, and I just want to hear like like great jokes, and I where I go, wow, that was an incredible twist. That's interesting. Yes, I think I want to see the person. I love seeing the person. Sure. I love seeing the person confront something like the authentic person, the flash of the really authentic person. Sure, and I, I agree, I but too. I think you can see that authentic person with super tight jokes. And I just think we see, and this is part of the the economy of this uh, re- having to generate so much material, where I think the person outshines the comedies to to a deep degree and then suddenly i'm watching a special where i'm like what is this what is this you're just being charismatic and i have charismatic friends i'd rather spend time with them so few comedians stay great because it takes a lifetime and it takes your full investment 
You cannot shortcut it. You cannot get someone else to write it for you because it 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 loses something. And I think every comedian, and I'm I you know if I'm successful, it, it will be the struggle of will I make time for this craft. Or will I not? I sometimes admire those great comedians who stopped doing stand-up because part of me goes like, you know what? They knew. They knew that if they just did it on the side, it would not be worth the audience's mm-hmm. time. And then you have kids and you go, oh, I and don't you have, kids. have anything like as much time anymore. Mm-hmm. Or, or you know, you you start you start entertaining your kid, and and, and you realize you, it's you, better. Your, your sense of humor becomes. <laughs> that's that's why that's what I think dad jokes are like. There's there's a trope of like dad jokes, but I think it's like parent jokes. I think it's just like you you you're trying to entertain your kid, and you're trying to entertain yeah, yeah. them fast. <laughs> you don't have time for a long setup, so you start you start going. Uh, uh, what do you call a fish without eyes? And it's like that makes your two year old laugh, you know, four year old laugh, and you're like. Okay, that's the bar. Yeah. That's the bar. Um where yeah. where does it end for you? What's the what's the goal? Is there is there a goal? Is the goal just to keep busy and keep working and keep traveling hopefully or is there a like have you got an end point ambition you're like that's when I'd give up? I think like I I I've come I've come to embrace a little bit of like the 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 joy is in the journey. Uh the, the cuz the most joy I feel is when that new joke works. That's better than when I do the perfect version for the hot crowd or or when I'm it's it's that moment of it worked. And I think I have to discipline myself for for economic reasons. I want to film a special. I I want to get to a place where I'm a little bit more like where I have the infrastructure and the people who want it and the money to to go like okay i need to film a special and i'm trying to this year that's my goal i desperately need to like that heart surgery thing it is really strong i need a deadline in sight tighten it up a little more and be done with it Mm -hmm. i i want to do that because i know how good it feels uh to have something in the can and done and go wow i made something and you can go see it there it's a good feeling um so in my mind my real goal is to like have a little bit more of that, a little more completion in my life, a little more when I finish this thing, I have the infrastructure to, to put it on film and put it to bed and feel like, wow, I did that thing. Mixed with, I want to continue touring, hopefully with, with a little more money and comfort and uh, less shows with 14 people and, and find a way to live a healthy life where I still get to really be creative and really work out new stuff on the page, work out new stuff on stage, get more comfortable uh, having a, a, an idea and pursuing it on stage and writing on stage, as they say. I love that. That's what makes me feel so good. So I, I want a life where I'm able to to do that and do that well and and film a special and maybe act, maybe write a script. But in my heart, I'd love to be on stage. I am a theater kid. And and my happiness is when I'm on stage. And so I want a life built around being able to do that and to do that well. I wondered how long you said that I, I've, I'm familiar with that sentiment. I feel that myself. The best moment in my day is when you, you I have an idea for a joke and I try it and it works. And I think, yes, it's real. This is real. I can do this thing. 
How long did the feeling last when you hit, I don't know, some arbitrary milestone, half a million YouTube subscribers, and you saw the numbers tick up and you went, there we go, look at that, half a mil. And you probably, I would guess, felt a certain kind of, I've put a lot of work into that, and that is a real metric that is a little less ephemeral than telling a joke and it dissipates. How long did that feeling last? It it fades so fast. <laughs> it becomes so quickly. It I, I think what makes it weird is like other people, they go to you and they go like, you must feel great. And if you don't feel great, you're like, oh no, I don't feel great. What's wrong with me? Sure. Uh, it's cool. It's It's fun. But at the end of the day, it's just a number in the corner of a box. I I think what I I like about comedy is like I have real respect for some some comedians. I really their mind I find so admirable. And and when when Jeffrey Asmus, uh, who it's embarrassing honestly how much I fawn over him because <laughs> uh, we really are we really are peers. Yeah. But like when someone like him says to me oh that one joke fuck to me that that feels really good and i i i think it's hard as as you get older everyone everyone is is complimenting you for different purposes and it's hard to trust you become skeptical of everyone's desires you see people uh promote specials that you know they don't like but it's for the person. I mean, everyone just becomes liars, constant, constant liars. And it's to me, it's like it's important. The the people in my life, whether it's some comedian who I really respect or it's my girlfriend who is a, is a genius uh, comedically. She, she's a manager, but just very smart. Or it's like one of my good friends who I, I respect. It's like when when they tell me something is funny. Hmm. That that means a lot, and ultimately a retweet or whatever it it doesn't feel as good as seeing a person throw their head back and laugh, because you know for the most part they're not faking it, and uh, uh, so you know it's a nice feeling. It's definitely better than when a video bombs, but but it it's it's hollow, and it's it's it does it. It's not the same as as getting getting it from from one person that you really admire a beautiful place to end it thank you so much thank you so that was Gianmarco. i mean come on right come on so good and so funny and eloquent and just you know you can't you can't fucking argue with that work ethic right Get the stuff out. The CEO of the brand, all of that stuff. Love it. Absolutely love it. And like I said, some I, I know not every listener to this will be thinking, should we all be the CEO? I mean, some of you, what am I trying to say? Some of you will be thinking, I don't want to be the CEO of brand me. And I get it. I totally get it. But honestly, what some of Gianmarco's clips? He knows what he's on about. Very, very, very funny guy. So really exciting to see that. I think he epitomizes the sort of um, the current... Thing. God, I can't even describe it without sounding so old. But this is what it means to be a contemporary, successful, doing it your own way comic these days. Ten years ago, we were like, God, what's it going to look like in ten years? And it's this. It's what Jean Marco and also what Jeffrey Asmus is doing. Um, the king of crowd work. <laughs> I think he's got loads of clips online as the king of crowd work. And I'm pretty sure Jeffrey's uh, special 
is called uh, The Greatest White Comedian or something like that. It's just brilliant. So that's coming up soon. Familiarise yourself with Gianmarco and with Jeffrey ahead of his uh, forthcoming appearance. That'll do for now. 20 minutes of extras, as I'm sure you know by now, on the Insiders feed. Join up at comedianscomedian.com slash insiders. I hope you enjoy them. Now, you might think after an episode like that, I would do a post amble at you full of, you know, wild speculation about pipelines and click funnels and and uh, sort of the whole system, the ecosystem of building out one's brand. I'm not, but I will say that there is something that may interest you. I've been releasing little segments of on LinkedIn. This is not my attempt, not my attempt to get you all to suddenly convert to yet another fucking platform. But if you are the sort of person who regularly uses LinkedIn, chuck us a follow on there. It's Stuart Goldsmith brackets comedy insights, but I'm sure you can just find it by searching my name. There can't be that many of us. Um, then there may be something on there that I am now chucking out uh, once a week on a Monday that is of interest to your interests. Right. No postamble today because um, I'm. by the time you hear this, I will be at the Glastonbury Festival and I'm packing for it now and constantly. And God, it takes longer every year. But I tell you what, I'll tweet it now. I will tweet a photo. No, I won't. I'll Instagram it at Stuart Goldsmith Comedy. It's photos. It's Instagram, right? That's the whole point. Um, I will put a photo up there right now of the genuinely incredible van packing that I have been uh, that I've pulled off this year. It's second to none. And look, I'm going to be 46 soon. There's no point pretending I don't enjoy packing a fucking van. What I did was I rigged two separate bungee cords like aerially at either end. And then all of your separate bungee cords can lash down. Yeah, if this has got you frothing, check out the uh, the Instagram. It's at Stuart Goldsmith Comedy. All right, pals. Right, um, that'll do for now. Thank you, Nathan Wood, producing the show. Um, the logger was Susie Lewis. The uh, music was by Rob's Mountain, who you can see at Glastonbury if you're there. Um, he is there playing with Hot Chip, and he also has a band called Black Peaches. I'm not sure if they're playing. I think maybe Rob's doing a DJ set. I'm not sure. He told me, and I immediately forgot. Um, which is rude of me, but I can't be digging out the information now. I've got to get out of here and get back to packing. Um, thank you for listening. Uh, more coming up soon. Cracker with Nish coming up soon. I hope I can also reveal, I hope we get clearance on the one that should have been out two weeks ago. And if you didn't hear Lee Kyles from last week, jump on and grab that because it's a, it's a blinder. All right. Bye for now. I love you. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>